First of all, I want to tell you how the Bible outlines the four main attacks from the adversary on all of us, but they become especially apparent at this age. First of all, I want you to turn to a couple of scriptures with me. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to Genesis chapter 3, and then next we're going to go to Matthew chapter 4. These are the two places in the Bible where it is shown most clearly how the adversary comes to the innocents and the areas in which they are tempted. And you will recognize these as we talked uh, uh, about them. First of all, you can recognize by Eve's response to the temptation of the forbidden fruit how she was tempted. There are two categories of temptation here. It says three, but, but we can, we can uh, put them into two. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, we're going to combine those two for the purpose of this sermon, and say there was a temptation of the appetite. There was a physical temptation, a temptation of the appetite. And then look at, uh, on further, and it says, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. There is a temptation of the intellect. So, so far we have a temptation of the appetite, or a physical temptation, and a temptation of the intellect. And now turn over to chapter 4 of Matthew with me. And see how Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness, and in what areas he was tempted. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... This, by the way, people in middle school... Hear that, hear that mocking if all the time. All the time. Yeah, well, if, you know, that's how they, that's, that's how, it's, and it's, it's, it's a premonition uh, and, and, a, and a result of, of this mocking voice right here. He says, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. What category is that in? That's, again, in the category of appetite or physical temptation. Now look at verse 6. And he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give His angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up and strike your foot against a stone. In other words, He was saying to Jesus, You want to be popular? I'll show you how to get people to follow you. Do something so spectacular that all of the crowds adore you and all of the crowds respect you and all of the crowds look up to you. Do that kind of miracle. Now let me ask you a question. This is a social temptation. How much time do you think a kid this age spends dreaming that they could do something to have everybody adore them? Everybody uh, uh, just respect them and, and admire them. I'm telling you, 90% of their lives are spent dreaming this. It's a social temptation. And a good part of adult lives are spent dreaming this. You know, you're going down the street wishing you could sing like Whitney Houston, you know? And then everybody admire you, see? Well, that's a social temptation. Now look at the last one. It says in verse 8, And the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. In other words, what he was trying to do was distract Jesus 
from the central point of his life of worshiping God by showing how much else could be important in his life. And that is a pure spiritual temptation. Spiritual temptation is a temptation of distraction from the Lord. And so there are four categories of temptation here, and I'm going I'm to quickly outline for you how those take place in the lives of a middle schooler. And I'm also going to, uh, and as I go along, you will see how they take place in your own life. Number one, the physical temptation. It is not only the temptation of appetite that kids have to face. It is the new temptation of the development of their bodies. Their bodies are changing. They are reaching puberty. And there are things happening inside their bodies they never imagined before. I mean, I, I don't know how many of you, when you were little, did you ever get any Mexican jumping beans? Anybody ever got any, get any of those? Mexican jumping They're pretty fascinating, aren't they? They just kind of hop around, you know, you know. Yep, yep. Get one of those things open, you know, and what is inside is a little worm. It's just kind of going all over the place. I want to tell you, your kid's body is exactly like that. I mean, that all of a sudden, it's not just business as usual. There's something happening in my body here. What is this deal? The hormones start going to such an extent, now watch this, that they affect the thinking of your child. I don't think, I don't know how many of us realize that, that our kids are, are brain impaired when, when hormones are going. You, you're sitting there thinking, boy, that's a, boy, this is weird. You know, this kid's acting like he's brain impaired. He is brain impaired. And so is she. And so is anybody whose hormones are raging. They have a definite effect on your thinking. Now, boys and girls are different. You can predict girls a little bit better. They're a little bit more cyclical. Boys are more spasmodic, you know, and seasonal, you know. But they become brain impaired. I have this theory, by the way, for men 35 to 45 that the same thing happens. <clears throat> but that's another uh, message altogether. So here these kids are. And these bodies are going wild. And they don't know, they, you, know, they're, you know, they're having temptations, they're having thoughts they've never had before, you know. What do they need at this age? They need, as in every one of these temptations, they need a voice of grace. And most of them do not have a relationship strong enough uh, uh, right now with the Lord to hear the Lord's voice, so they need your voice. And here's what they need to hear. They need to hear, you know what? All kinds of wonderful things are happening in your body right now. Feel real strange. You're having thoughts you've never had before. Fears you've never had before. You know, they take a look at their body. They take a look at a high schooler's body and they go, Oh, man, you know, this is never going to get there, you know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, boys literally fear that they are the only boy on earth that will never reach puberty. Guaranteed. I don't, God's going to pass me by. I know he is. I'm going I'm to be the only boy that will never reach that wonderful, you know. So on and so forth. Even though he's, he's, you know, well, anyhow, here's what they need to hear. They need to hear God's doing something wonderful with your body right now. And I know it's confusing, and I know you've got these, these uh, temptations and appetites you haven't had before. I know all of that. But I want you to know he's preparing you for something, and your main deal right now is that you have to wait. You have to learn to wait. You're going to have to learn to wait not only on that wonderful relationship he has for you someday, but also on the physical temptation that tempts you so much. You know why? Because God is trying to teach you a very important lesson at this age, and that is this. Even though it seems like your body has control of you, you have control of your body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul said this, 
I make my body my slave, that I might not be disqualified for ministry. Every kid at this age needs a parent that will say, you know what, you are in control of your body. You can determine what you do with your body. It, it is, you have the power to resist the temptation and to resist getting yourself into trouble later on down the line. You got that power. This, just a week ago, Time Magazine had a, had a commentary on how they thought it was a really good idea of abstinence for kids for the first time. Even the government that is not built on a moral base is saying, look, you can be responsible. Secondly, there is the intellectual temptation. You know, you go from simple math in middle school to algebra. You know, oh, man, that is, that is so intimidating. And you begin to think of how, what the world expects from you intellectually. It is a fearful thing to start comparing your intelligence to what you think is everybody else's intelligence. And you start to feel inferior. Uh, Erickson says at this stage, it's industry versus inferiority. Most kids, if they can't accomplish something, either with their hands or intellectually, they begin to feel very inferior, you know? Well, here's your ministry. Here's your voice of grace to your kid this age or to your friend who, who has equal doubts about their own intellectual ability. First thing you need to say to them is IQ is a small part of the story. It's only part of the story. There are a lot of people that are smart in a lot of different areas. Intellect is a matter of being able to use the kind of reasoning God has given you. Again, if you want to pick up an article on that, uh, I think it was last week's uh, time or two weeks ago, Time Magazine had a, a, an article on EQ or the emotional quotient. In other words, they said your IQ may get you a job, but your EQ, your ability to read and work with people, will determine whether or not you're successful in that job. So, so the ability to work out certain mathematical formulae or, or memorize certain facts is only a small part of the story. Your kid needs to know that God made them with the brain that they have. He made no mistakes and that they are smart in at least one area. They are smart in at least one area and they need to be challenged to think. They need to be challenged to reason. You know... A kid at this age, I said before, mostly what they want to do is argue. They want to see how far they can push out the boundaries. Even when a kid is arguing, they need to say, you need to be able to say, good argument. No, that's a bad argument. You ought to try this one. Well, kids need to hear that permission to think, that permission to reason. They need to, if they say something, if they've thought something through and they come up with something smart, you need to say, boy, that's smart. That is a really great way to think. Why? Because someday God will use that not only to get along with people, but to, to further the gospel. Look in the book of Acts. You can, say, you can see how often it says, and Paul reasoned daily in the synagogue and in the marketplace. In other words, he could talk to believers and non-believers. And what, how, did he, how did he present Christ? With reason. He thought it through, you know. That's what we want for our kids. So they need to be built up in their ability to reason, in their, their ability to think things through. And they need to hear from somebody who's smarter than they are, you're smart. 